1: Hello, listeners. This is CJ. Welcome back to the Sisterhood of the Bottomless Mimosa. Welcome back, friends. This is Melissa.
0: And that creepy alien was CJ.
1: (laughs) And this, thank you. And this is episode 26. I was going through for a transatlantic accent. I'm sorry that you thought that was alien. It's probably just like too avant-garde for you. You know what I mean? (laughs) That's exactly what it was. (laughs) <laughs> How is it hanging? Welcome back at the top of the episode. We want to say, as always, thank you for tuning in. And we are really close to having 300 followers on Instagram. We're at like 282 or something. So, if you could just make our dreams come true, and if you aren't already following us, go give us a follow at, at mimosa sisterhood on Instagram. Push us over to that 300 mark. I will be so happy, and I will post more pictures of my nipples. <laughs> <laughs>
0: okay well you know what i think i take credit for like the last 30 because i've been hardcore spamming twitter for two days and um basically was telling everybody on twitter hi i suck at twitter go follow us on instagram <laughs>
1: that's and like awful word. tweet <laughs> that's so good how's it yeah. going over at twitter i haven't uh, looked at it in years um, It's actually f- fucking
0: fantastic because whenever, so when we started the Twitter, it was literally while we we're at PodCon and I just went and followed like every podcast under the sun. And so we literally only follow and are followed by other podcasts. So everything that I see and like everything the other people we follow like like ends up in our feed so it exposes me to even more podcasts which like the number one thing that's happening on twitter right now is hey
1: guys have any podcast recommendations and i just fucking bomb that shit up hell yeah awesome well and you got you got us a fan i remember you texted me about it i know hi hi new fan hi it's us. I don't know I don't know anything about her. I know that you sent me the screenshot and I was super excited. Hello. Well, we're very Hello.
0: excited about all of our new fans and any new listeners that are just tuning in for the first time. Welcome. Um, if our podcast doesn't make sense to you, just go back to episode 1 and it will make a little bit more sense.
1: It's actually a great podcast for hopping in at any time though as well. Like you could just it's just us drinking and talking about women. So you can kind of just get on board at any moment it's fine um but feel free to listen to all other 25 that's cool too and of course if you have not done so already please subscribe and leave us reviews on itunes and anywhere else you can leave reviews
0: apparently you can leave
1: reviews on stitcher
0: Our number one most most loyal fan has left one review on Stitcher for us, and uh, we continue to only have one review on Stitcher.
1: Hey, but we've got that following in the Philippines, like, for real. (laughs) 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 Okay, great. Well, we... Before we get into the episode hardcore, we wanted to check in on something that I brought up at the beginning of last week's episode, which was my excitement for the fact that NASA was about to, on March 29th, launch its first ever all-female spacewalk, but things have changed. Melissa, do you want to give the listeners an update? Sure. So, if you haven't already seen on
0: the internet, which right now it's sort of trending in a negative light, um, NASA has since decided in the past week that they are going to have to cancel their historic all-women spacewalk because it only had one female spacesuit. Wah, wah. (laughs)
1: Like you know i'm so mad about this is that like how many times has that been the thing that ruined a woman's moment like not having the right dress like being in the dressing room and like not finding the right size and i'm like even nasa really even fucking nasa <laughs> god damn it
0: i mean and like like i said a couple minutes ago like how do you announce to the entire motherfucking world that we're doing this insane incredible amazing historic female moment that has never existed before in the history of space and then like your wardrobe specialist calls and is like whoa um um tom actually we it turns out that we only have one suit did you did you send that tweet yet (laughs)
1: like i'm sorry what OK, like what we know for sure is that there was obviously not a single Virgo working on this mission because a Virgo would never have let a detail like that slide. Never. Ever. You would have been all over that shit like white on rice. You'd have been like, I would have the size of this. I would have like I literally would
0: have anticipated this before somebody even got the idea to even have a historic all women spacewalk. Like, the details and the instructions and the guidelines would have been written before the genius even had this idea. Like, that's how on top of it I would have been.
1: I'm going to guess that, like, whoever overlooked that particular extremely important detail was either an Aries, because, like, duh, Or an Aquarius, because all they could think about was space. (laughs) And, like, totally forgot that there's necessary steps to take before you actually get there. So. Boo. Boo. Yeah, I think I'm mad that, or, like, not mad, I'm not, like, throwing furniture around my house about this, but I'm agitated that they felt... Like, they realized it was important enough that it would make them look good to announce it, but not so important enough that they actually planned for it. And I'm just like, you guys really just wanted the cool publicity and now it blew up in your face.
0: Yeah. And like,
1: what the fuck does Nichelle Nichols think of this? I was, bitch. I was just going to say Nichelle Nichols does not approve. I guarantee it. <laughs> she is pissed right now. <laughs> like god damn it um ooh, good segue into shout outs for people guessing our women last week kathy b who we mentioned at length at the end of our last episode who gave us some really good feedback on the podcast correctly guessed uhura she didn't know her name but like she got it
0: this is based off what cj's talking about are the mood boards that we've been posting on instagram for teasers kind of just like giving our our social media followers kind of opportunity to guess at who our upcoming women are based on a series of like picture clues and so the picture for her was the star trek logo and then the jazz, like, blue band. The jazz band that she was in that does, like, blues. I can't remember what their name was now. And then I did a NASA astronaut.
1: And she, mm-hmm. Kathy B, nailed it! Killed us uh and if you we're gonna be doing those every week so if you that's a fun way for you guys to communicate with us if you want to guess we will give you a shout out if you guess correctly before the episode posts every monday so check those out melissa sisterhood and uh and on my end Eileen, who is an old colleague of mine correctly guessed ut austin mathematician karen uhlenbeck which i was like damn like come with the fire (laughs) so i think i posted a picture of like a bunch of equations i didn't understand on a chalkboard uh the ut austin logo which is a cattle with its big old horns what do you call that i don't know cattle horn and like a steer yes 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 and she uh, up on a farm. That was really good. And uh, and a picture of the of the Able Award itself cuz like who the fuck knows what that looks like. But she killed no. it. So big ups to Eileen in uh, Minnesota. I know she's also one of our stickers distributors. So we we appreciate you, girl. Thanks. You know what I was just thinking too? Hmm.
0: Maybe we should do like a fun little like contest where like the first person to get 5 right We'll win, like, a little prize of some sort.
1: 100% down with that. Okay. Official. So we've just we'll come up implemented that later. contest now. <laughs> yeah. We'll come up with some prize at some point in time. Um, we also did our first Instagram live video at the time of this recording is today. So what is this? The 20... What is today? 27th? I think it's the 27th. Okay. Yeah. Um... Where I did a, we're just playing around with this, where I did a live wine tasting of the wine that I'll be reviewing tonight, and my nipples were definitely front stage and center. It was like a 25-second video (laughs) that I did. But more of that might be coming. We'll see. If you love all of this, if you hate all of this, please contact us and let us know. If We want to know your thoughts. Okay. Woohoo! Well, as we get into the wine review, please picture this in your mind that both Melissa and I are drinking out of matching corksicles, so I'm very excited about that. Um, We
0: should should post a little picture so people can see what they look like.
1: We should, yeah. Do you want to go first? Tell us what you're drinking. Oh, you're drinking the shit wine!
0: (laughs) So... Yes, I was, like, very upset, like, all for the past couple hours, knowing I would have to drink this wine tonight, mainly because, so, I had thought that this wine was a sparkling Chardonnay, which leads me to believe one of them is, but it's not the one that I currently have at home. So, so, I get those wine bottles delivered to work, and I've literally just left them at my desk. So, I think the one at work is the sparkling Chardonnay, but the one I already had at home that I was already avoiding is actually a sparkling Chenin Blanc.
1: So, oh, it?
0: At least it's not the Chardonnay. So, the minute yeah. that I saw that it's a Chenin Blanc, my spirits were lifted at least like an inch. So, I'm not mm. nearly as depressed as I was 25 minutes ago. Um, But the wine is 2017 Sparkling Chenin Blanc from California, and I believe the brand is Finks. Nothing cool about the label, other than, like, a snazzy font, I suppose. Mm -hmm. But it's spelled, like, F-I-N-K-E apostrophe S, so that's probably some, like, dude's last name. Um, Let me try it. it's really not horrible it's like it tastes just like a actually it tastes like a good champagne nice that's yeah. great and it's it's bubbly but it's not like overwhelmingly bubbly like i don't think this is going to give me a headache
1: thanks comma really not horrible <laughs> i am I'm so happy for you that it's not the chardonnay because that's kind of gross and B, I fucking love Chenin Blanc, and I feel like it's so hard to find at the grocery store. I can never really? find Chenin Blanc at... The- yes, I can never find a Chenin Blanc at the paycheck. Mm-mm. Hmm. I love Chenin Blanc, but I feel like it's hard to to get. I don't know why that is. If you guys want to mail us wine, for the love of God, hit me up with some Chenin Blanc. Just Well, I us. mean,
0: this is like the third Chenin Blanc I've gotten through that wine club, so maybe you need to hit up that wine club
1: i actually probably should honestly the bottles
0: are probably cheaper than what you pay at the whole paycheck
1: well and also i'm on a bike so like anything anytime i go to the store a bottle of wine is taking up a lot of significant space in my backpack that could go to things like that are nutritional so maybe something like that would actually be good all right you'll have to send me info we're not going to say it out loud because they don't sponsor us so fuck them yeah fuck you guys all right Unless you want to sponsor us, like hey, <laughs> I am. I'm kind of excited about my wine just because I don't think I have reviewed this kind of wine before on the podcast. It's a Pinot Gris. I don't think I've reviewed a single Pinot Gris. Have we reviewed interesting? A Pinot Gris? Um, no. no. I'm also excited because I believe this is the first time. That either of us, I could be wrong, but I think certainly me, has reviewed an Oregon wine. This wine is out of Oregon. Rogue Valley, Oregon, 2017. I- I, honest to God, do not know how to pronounce this, that the, the label says F-O-R-I-S, so like four is, which part of me wants to believe that's what it is, because that sounds hipster in some way. But if we're going to match it to the way you pronounce Pinot Gris, which is spelled G-R-I-S, then I'm going to say it's fori
0: <laughs> And
1: you know how much I love, you know how much I love French culture, so... <laughs> I've had um, probably like a third of the bottle already because I've been drinking it for a couple hours. Um, It's good. Like I don't really have any intense detailed notes on it. It's like I'm happy with it. It was, of course, like 18 bucks because I'm out of control. And uh, I feel like it's I'm probably going to drink it all tonight. It's going to go right down the hatch and I'm going to wake up tomorrow and like want to do yoga. It's going to be great. Okay, so you definitely need to
0: take up this wine club because each <laughs> bottle is like 13 to 14 dollars and right. they're they're most of them like if you get to pick your own, which like is okay. why I sucked at this because I never did because I forgot. but if you like kept up with it, you could actually get some really cool wines with really cool labels that are probably bomb as fuck delivered directly right. to your front door and they also come it comes with a little like packet that gives you like a little rundown on what you're drinking
1: do you see how good we would be at promoting your shit fucking pay us people like we will advertise for you i'm so pumped i'm gonna go get that service that we won't name as soon as i'm done recording this episode oh also i wanted to give a shout out to the person who is absolutely not listening and whose name i do not know but she was the woman who checked <laughs> me out at whole foods and she id'd me so i want to give her a shout out first of all for id'ing me because anytime someone actually i'm 30 i'm almost 32 when people id me now it's like a whole celebration there's like balloon like confetti falls from the sky and like yeah was like i ID'd, yes. yes um but she she looks at my id and she goes oh hey gemini i was like was your birthday girl she was like june 5th that i feel like gemini's are the only sign that fucking loses it for themselves like that and i love it every yeah, time i get id'd probably. in a gemini yeah it's a thing like have you ever gone somewhere and someone was like fucking virgo have you uh no Tell me. i do that to people all the time <laughs> <laughs> i'm not virgo that does that that's great there should be more of that so, yeah. shout out to whoever you are killing it. Gemini, June Woo! 5th. Uh. All right. So, tonight, if you tuned in last week, you'll know that tonight we are doing another what we like to call Villa episode, where we cover either very complicated or just straight up evil women. For a change, because we got some feedback that themed episodes are fun, and I think sometimes it's fun to switch it up. So both of our ladies tonight will be salty dogs. Um, And I'm going to pour a little bit of wine real quick, because my woman fucked me up big time. Like, I'm a little traumatized reading up about her. So we're just going (laughs) to... Did you pick, like, a mass murderer? No. No. Just wait so it's not like you guys aren't gonna like be vomiting it's not like that bad but it's just gnarly it, this is the kind of story that you can't believe is true it's like you think it's a poorly written like TV show cause it's just so outrageous and heads up at the front for anyone who listens to the podcast Criminal with Phoebe Judge which you don't get cause it's like you don't listen to that podcast but she says her name a very specific way um this she just recently covered this woman but if you don't listen to that podcast and this will be new to you and even if you do there are pieces of her story like huge like pretty significant things that that episode omitted and i'm not sure why so you'll still be getting new information even if you recently listen to this okay i'm not really going to explain anything up front i'm just going to take you through her story and you will You will see as we go on. Just get ready to drink. I, today, will be covering a woman by the name of Georgia Tan. Georgia Tan was born in Philadelphia, Mississippi. Apparently, there's a Philly in Mississippi, which I did not know. Weird. Right. In 1891, to a wealthy and prominent family, her father was a judge. Her father wanted her to become a concert pianist. Which, like, when you're rich, I guess, is what you want your kids to do. So she studied music through her early 20s, but she wanted to be a lawyer like her father. So she quote red law with him which was the phrase that i kept coming across like red law because this is the i guess this would probably be like 1910 ish by the time she's old enough to be doing this there were no like law school was barely a thing back in that day you became a lawyer by basically having an apprenticeship with another lawyer there was no jurisprudence degree so she learns law by reading law with her father and she wanted to um to become a lawyer, so she becomes actually the very first woman to ever pass the bar in Mississippi, but apparently her father wouldn't let her practice law, even though he read law with her and the there's a woman who wrote a biography about Georgia Tan who's actually interviewed on the criminal episode because criminal actually has money unlike us, and they can interview people and her name is Barbara Bysance. I might be saying that wrong bysance Raymond, and she says in this episode she's like I don't know why her father's opinion mattered to her because this is a woman who clearly didn't this is not a direct quote this is a woman who clearly didn't give a fuck what anybody else thought so the fact that her dad wouldn't let her practice law is the reason she didn't do law doesn't really make sense but that's the story that she told reporters and so she decided to become a social worker because she clearly didn't have any intentions of getting married or having kids which i'll come back to and becoming a social worker in what like the 1910s is one of the only things you could do as an unmarried woman in terms of a career so this is where I'm going to say something that I am like really sorry about. So, I have this, and this is one of the, the details that was not mentioned in the criminal episode. As I was researching Georgia Tan, I found out that Georgia Tan was a lesbian. And I'm sorry about this because I realized that to our knowledge, we have not covered a single lesbian woman on this podcast. We've covered women who dated both men and women we've covered women who maybe were like rumored to be gay but were never confirmed but as far as i know we have never covered a for sure confirmed lesbian and i'm really sorry that the first one we're covering is like a crazy evil person so we will definitely have a lesbian redemption episode i am so sorry i didn't know but that was one of the things that they didn't mention in that podcast and it's interesting that they left that out because that seems like a pretty big detail of someone's life, especially at that time where you couldn't be openly gay. I thought that was really interesting. But she she did have a long-term partner by the name of Anne Atwood, and they lived together in, you know, like a Boston marriage, essentially, to the outside world. But in reality, they were actually lovers. So, um, so she has no intention of getting married because she's gay, and you can't get married that early on as a gay person. So... She finds her true calling in a roundabout way through her father's career. So when she's 15 years old, her father works a case in which two siblings are orphaned and he doesn't know what to do with them. Because at this point in America's history, adoption was not a thing. Like now adoption is super trendy. It's like if you're a celebrity, you have to adopt a kid from another country or you're not even cool. But back then, adoption was something that... (laughs) Like, orphan children were considered tainted goods, basically. You didn't want an orphan child. You didn't want a child that was born to an unwed mother. There were implications that it was unworthy, that it wasn't good enough, that there was something wrong with it. And children either, like, died or withered away in orphanages... Or they were sent to what are referred to as baby farmers, who were basically, like, super twisted foster moms of the 19th century. So they would take these kids in for a fee, so they get paid money to take in these kids. And after that, they didn't really care about them at all, so they'd either, like, completely neglect them, or even in some cases... Legit would buy life insurance policies on these children and then murder them and collect the life insurance. And this was widespread enough of a phenomenon that this was actually mentioned in a editorial in the New York Times. So this was like a common thing that happened to to orphan children. So at this point adoption is not popular whatsoever. But Georgia when her dad gets this case takes it on herself to go around the town and speak to other wealthy families and try to convince them to take these children in, which she does successfully do. And from that point forward, she apparently decides that she's going to match poor babies with wealthy families and she just starts stealing babies from poor families and selling them to wealthy families. So she literally, while she's still living in her little town in Mississippi, steals a child off its porch while its mother is inside, and lures it away with a piece of candy, and then sells it to another wealthy family down the street. Now, I don't know how big this town in Mississippi is, but it's Mississippi, and I'm assuming it's not very big. The mother, like, knew her child had been sold, and she was like, give me, like, give me my fucking child back, that's my child, and told authorities, and, like, nobody did anything about it. Nobody cared. And so then, a couple years later, Georgia steals her other child. And does the exact the same, same thing. And sells it to the same family that bought the other child. So basically, like, nothing happens. She, You know, her dad's a judge. You know what I mean? Like, nothing happens to her. No, nobody gets in trouble. But she essentially gets, like, run out of town. And at that point, she heads over to Memphis, Tennessee. <laughs> she got ran out of town for snatching babies. And selling them. And selling them. And... At this point, like, I was going to bring this up later, but, like, she essentially, at least at the beginning, seems to think she's doing good work. Like, she really believed that poor people were unfit to raise healthy children and that she was doing these families and these babies a favor by taking their babies away without permission and giving them to a wealthier family and hence like a presumably a better life so she thought or like she seemed to think at the beginning anyway that she was doing good cool bro um, so wait yeah how much was she selling them
0: for we'll get there
1: i don't know how <laughs> i don't know how much she was charging at the early those first two but Did we'll she take there. a commission? She got a lot of money. Um, she ends up like legit, she becomes rich off of stealing and selling babies. Oh my god. I, know. I shouldn't be laughing. I, but I'm laughing. But it's fine. I mean, like, this is gonna be a dark visit. episode, so you're gonna have to laugh. Also, like, since we're gonna be making dark jokes already, I would like <laughs> the fact that people pay money for children is insane to me. <laughs> I mean, like, I get it. I don't mean to be disrespectful to people who, like, can't conceive or, like, whatever. But I'm just, like, I wouldn't, like, I don't ever want to have children. So the idea that I would then, like, give somebody money to bring me a child is just, like, it just blows my mind. Um, Anyway, so she goes over to Memphis, Tennessee, where she becomes director of the Tennessee Children's Home Society. So, like, this isn't going to go well. (laughs) Like, not at fucking all. And I don't know how, I couldn't like figure out how this happened, why they got close. But some way, somehow, she gains the favor and the protection of the Memphis mayor, Edward Hull Crump. And she starts stealing and selling babies like it's going out of style with like complete impunity because the mayor of Memphis is like her friend. And I don't know why. But like, so she is just like stealing babies like it is nothing. Here are some of her methods for obtaining the children that she got. First of all, it involved a ton of accomplices, which in and of itself is kind of creepy. One of the things that she would do, this is kind of how she started. She would tell new or soon to be impoverished mothers that their babies needed medical care so she'd like hear a child coughing and she'd realize this was like a poor family oh is your baby okay i know a lot about babies i think your baby might be sick i know a place where i can get you care i know you don't have a lot of money you can't come unfortunately but i can take your baby there and they'll take care of her and then they'd come back to her and be like where's my baby and she'd be like oh sorry your baby died when in mm-hmm. actuality what she was doing was selling them to other families so that was her like clearly these
0: families were aware that they
1: were purchasing a stolen child i don't know that is a good question like i and it seems unclear i think at the beginning and it sounds like maybe throughout the whole racket like nobody wanted to know i think like that's essentially what it comes down to is like nobody asks questions like this. She would falsify documents because a lot of these children were coming from like poor people she also took babies out of like mental health hospitals if women were giving birth there so she would make up these stories about who their parents were so that the parents adopting them would feel better about the baby so sometimes she'd be like this came from like an english lord that passed away but like blah 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 so a i don't think they knew and b i don't think they really fucking cared this woman showed up with a baby they wanted and they and they paid for it you know what i mean like i think it was just like a don't ask don't tell kind of atmosphere yeah um so she would also parents would drop their kids off at orphanages this was super interesting back in the day orphanages were used kind of almost as like a bank <laughs> for children if you were like going through a really hard time or someone in your family had an illness or you needed to make some more money before you could care for your kid people would drop their kids off at orphanages basically as like f- not as free boarding houses but essentially as free boarding houses and then pick them up and they had money again so you basically like ditch your kid for a little while while you got your shit together and they would come and pick it back up so she would take kids from orphanages or nursery homes and then when chill and when the parents would come to pick them up they'd be like oh nope the state welfare agents came and took your child away like the state basically like took your child over when in reality georgia tan was just taking them and selling them to other people um and then at some point she starts just stealing children from hospitals and she had women who either were nurses or dressed like nurses mm. i'm not sure which they would go to delivery rooms they would take the babies they would pass them off to like georgia or like a courier for georgia and they go back to the mom and they'd be like i'm so sorry your baby died And the moms would be like, but like, what? Like, it was just, it was like crying, it was screaming, it looked totally healthy, what do you mean the baby's dead? And they're like, oh, I'm so sorry, your baby died. And then they'd ask to see the body, and they'd be like, oh, we already buried it. So like, all this stuff, exactly. So all this stuff was happening where these parents were like, this is clearly not true. This was not a secret. Like they were, they were suing her home, the home that she worked at. They were like trying to go after her, but again, the mayor of Memphis was like her BFF, and like charges were brought, and nobody ever, ever won a case against her. Like no, no one ever got any justice. That she got away with all of it. Officials knew about it, and they just let her do it.
0: Which is like the craziest thing of all.
1: Oh, but it gets crazier because then later on, one of the other ways she learned to get kids is by buddying up with a juvenile court judge named Camille Kelly. Camille would have families like poor families come to her court for whatever reason. If they had children, she would note down the names and the ages of the children. She would pass that information off to Georgia. If Georgia wanted those children, this is a fucking judge. If Georgia wanted those children, that judge would then issue a court order that they had to turn their children over to Georgia, and the woman Barbara, whatever her name is, who wrote the doc, um, the biography about her, said that twenty percent of the children that Georgia Tam placed came from court orders signed by Camille Kelly. Like literally, judges were. And this is like this, you know, like this is less than a hundred years ago. Like this isn't even that long ago. In the United States of America, judges were basically helping this woman traffic babies. Isn't that insane? Why? So that's what I don't understand. And but here's where here's what I think was going on. One, I heard that she was giving lawmakers babies who wanted them, so she was literally like bartering with children to begin with. But also, what it comes down to is like to this nobody cares about poor people in america and nobody cares about poor children so i think like they literally were like well what's the problem like she's they're poor people they can't take care of their kids anyway these kids are going to have a better home like i really think it was just like straight up discrimination it was a bunch of like rich people who were like what's the problem i don't see the problem like you're welcome we're doing your kids a favor by taking them away from you I think that's really what it came down to. It was just like, we don't like poor people. We don't really care. Um, which nuts. is nuts. And then Crump, Mayor Crump went on to become a congressman. And so, like, was protecting her at that level, too. Nuts. Trump's the original right? Trump? Yeah. Like, if your last name is Crump, bye. Like, you, <laughs> bye. I can't believe anybody elected that person into office to begin with. Like, Crump. Oh, yeah. I want to vote for Crump. Okay. okay. Yeah. Real quick side note. I've been
0: listening to a murder podcast for a couple weeks, and every episode's a different story, but today I was listening to a very similar story that involved a psychotic abortion doctor who was, like, just, like, a complete nightmare, but his first name was Kermit.
1: And I was like, first of all! (laughs) It's not right.
0: An abortion doctor named kermit like it's just Mm. not adding up
1: like that's problem number one Mm -mm. it's not right (laughs) it's not okay (laughs) um so she's she's like she's going for it she's just snatching i also read online too that like it got to the point where people would just like bring her stolen children would, like, sell her stolen children so that she could then sell them. People would, li- like, just kid- like just straight kidnappings. Like, hey, we just, like, yeah. stole this child off a playground. She was like, great, it's cute. I can sell it. Thank you so much. Um, she prioritized... She only sold white children. Uh, she prioritized blonde and blue-eyed children, because apparently she's a fucking Nazi. And um, even though she started selling l- children locally... She ended up selling them across state borders, and sold children to people in over forty-eight states, which basically just means she didn't get to Alaska or Hawaii. Like she sold children all over the country. She, when um when she first started selling children, the average adoption fee was five to fifteen dollars. She was charging hundreds or even thousands of dollars for each child with some of her quote unquote bigger sales, which is a disgusting way to talk about children, um, around $5,000. So this is like what the 1920s, 30s, she was making a shit ton of money off these children. And she would also sell to like, well known people um Joan Crawford adopted her children through a Georgia Who's tan that? To this actress joan crawford she's oh, a famous actress yes what yes but like no one knew you she didn't know like joan crawford didn't know what she was doing you know what i mean like by the time she knew who that was she was like oh you're just like someone who's like helping these poor children you know like if you weren't digging for the information there this is pre-internet you wouldn't know so no no shade to joan crawford she just didn't know what was going on um she actually ended up advising first lady eleanor roosevelt about adoption which i was like come on we all know eleanor roosevelt was a lesbian and you guys were lovers but it's fine we can just pretend you were advising her on adoption (laughs) like it's whatever and she even i don't know how this happened but she got invited to president truman's inauguration so she was like this famous wealthy woman who was like living making millions of dollars stealing and selling children and like no one cared Everybody was like, "Great, come to the presidential inauguration. Great, take my money." Like, and my, while all of this is happening over several decades, m- dozens, if not hundreds, of parents are like trying to get their kids back. Like I said, this wasn't a secret. Like people are fighting. Like just like imagine that. Imagine being a parent and like you know your child was stolen and you know who stole it and you know everyone in power knows and nobody cares. They're just like, "Yeah, we don't care. We're not going to do anything about it." not that yeah, nuts? That's horrifying. Yeah. So. Um, she also would lease children out, so she would send some families like two or three kids at a time, and she'd be like, You can have these kids for an entire year and just like send back the ones you don't want. So just like, oh, I God. mean, just weird, like weird, like purely psychopathic stuff, which also, like, I don't know who those families were, but fuck you. Like who does that? You know what I mean?
0: Well, okay, wait, I have a question. Yeah. Which, not sure if you have this information, but, like, was she, like, housing these kids pre-transitional period from, like, poor to rich? Like, where do they all go? Where are they living? Does she have them stored in a house? What are the living conditions? Like,
1: what's that all about? Great segue, Melissa. So meanwhile well she's living this like lavish lifestyle has like a fountain in her front yard wearing fur coats getting her best life her kids live in this home that i forget the 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 home that she was the director of i don't remember the full name um that's five pages ago but they were basically like living in like a farm it was like a baby farm like they basically were like four kids to a crib completely neglected she didn't give them any medical care um she yes she sold a lot of children to high profile people or to people with a lot of money but at some point she just needed to get rid of kids she also sold them off to those baby farmers that i mentioned earlier she sold some people off to pedophiles (gasps) she sold some people off to just like farms that needed people for labor and there are um multiple people who have come forward in adulthood who lived at her home and said that she like sexually abused children and so did her staff. She did too. Yeah. According to these kids like these grown kids. So like it was a hellhole. She was like running a yeah. horror house basically. It was insane. Um and while the exact numbers are not known because she would basically destroy the records of all the children she stole because she had all these friends in power who could give her that stuff it like for sure a few dozen but more than likely hundreds of children died while in her care and in fact i read this multiple places in the 1930s Memphis, which was like the height of her racket memphis had the highest infant mortality rate in the entire country because of georgia tan Because she was taking so many kids and just, like, letting them die. Or maybe even killing them. We'll never know for sure. So, like, this is some twisted ass shit. But, again, this entire fucking time, like, people are yelling about it. People know about it. And politicians and judges are not only letting her get away with it. They're sending babies to her through court orders. Which is just, like, insane. So... This goes on for several decades. Finally, in the 1950s, her most powerful allies have fallen out of power, one way or another. They've like aged out of office, or they weren't reelected, or whatever. And then the um, in September of 1950, the governor of Tennessee announced an investigation into her home, and she died three days later of cancer at the age of 59. So three days. While, yep. Yep. Three days after he launched his investigation, she died of cancer. Did she know she had cancer? I think so. Yeah. Oh. So she, even though, like, eventually her, her home gets closed down, she never saw any justice because she died before they could bring any charges against her. And none of the children were returned and nobody was prosecuted for anything. They just shut the home down. Um she served as the director of that home for 26 years and placed over 5,000 children. But it was le- that are confirmed, but it was likely more and considering how many kids likely died in her care, she probably stole several hundred if not thousand more than that, which like that's huge for one city. Five, I mean, like, I know Memphis is a city, but what is this, like, the 1930s or whatever? Like, how many people lived in Memphis? Like, 5,000 plus children being taken. That's huge. That's insane. Like, I don't know. It's like a small town. You know what I mean? Like, that's just crazy. Yeah. um She ended up, this was, I thought, kind of like an aside, but I didn't know this practice, so I thought it was interesting. She adopted her girlfriend. She adopted her when they were like in their 50s, which apparently was a common what? practice. Yes. Apparently this was like a fairly common practice for people to do before gay marriage was legalized because then you could leave your estate to that person because they were technically your next of kin. So that in their like
0: makes sense. Like how do you and adopt an adult?
1: I know. Like a, and le- I don't think- a legal adult. And I don't think that, like, just anyone could do that. But clearly, Georgia Tan got away with anything she wanted and had friends in power and had judges who were literally giving her babies. So she managed to pull it off. Um, yeah, so that is pretty much the story of Georgia Tan. She, like, kind of to wrap it up, for better and for worse, she popularized adoption. So, like, in some ways that was clearly terrible because of the things that happened to those children, but also, you know, there are a lot of kids in this in this country, who then went on to be adopted by wonderful, loving parents, whereas otherwise they wouldn't have had them. So for good and for bad, she popularized the act of adoption. And even though I couldn't find exactly what these laws were, I read multiple places that that scandal resulted in reform laws around adoption in Tennessee in 1951, so the year after the investigation. So um, I did want to end on this um on this quote so uh 19 of the children who died at her tennessee children's home society what was the name of the home due to her abuse and neglect were buried in a grave at the historic elmwood elmwood cemetery in tennessee in 2015 the cemetery raised thirteen thousand dollars to erect a monument to their memory and on the headstone it reads quote in memory of the 19 children who finally rest here, unmarked if not unknown, and of all the hundreds who died under the cold, hard hand of the Tennessee Children's Home Society. Their final resting place unknown, their final peace a blessing, the hard lesson of their fate changed adoption procedure and law nationwide. That is the fucking Nutter Butters tale of Georgia Tan.
0: What? An insane psychopath, like l-
1: unbelievable, right? Like unbelievable. <laughs> like I don't even know what to say.
0: <laughs> so the one thing I'm wondering is, like, after psychopath dies, and they like start to catch on that she's been running this like child trafficking stint and like making a buttload of money. Does her fucking crazy girlfriend just, like, get to keep all that trafficking money, or did they snatch that shit away from her and are like, bitch,
1: you're crazy too, like, you should also be in jail? I don't, to be honest, I didn't read anything about that, but the fact that nobody ever got prosecuted, to me, implies that she just, like, lived on that bitch's money till the end of her days because they never they never even brought i don't even know <laughs> Are crimes like the nobel where you can't prosecute if you're already dead like, i don't know what the rules are but um i mean no one ever got no one ever got like named or indicted for it so i assume her her widow just got her money yep that's
0: crazy i regret to inform you that i accidentally saw her zodiac sign
1: I hate you. Because
0: I wanted to see what this psycho bitch looked like, and literally, okay. just upon Googling her name, it like instantly threw out a picture and her birthday, and I was absolutely mortified. But before we reveal the zodiac sign, I did prior to knowing that information have a thought. Okay. And yeah. I feel so bad, because I feel like we've been hating on this sign for a couple of weeks, but I totally thought she was an Aries. <laughs> I knew you were going to say Aries. I feel terrible, because no <sighs> one wants to be associated with a psychopath child traffic trafficking murderer.
1: Well, the hint I was going to give you before you cheated was that <laughs> if you think about the in like. She could be like a cancer gone. I mean, clearly she was a cancer gone bad. But if you think about like the idea of like rescuing children and like helping them and like caring them, like all of that sounds very cancer until you add all the details. You know what I mean? So like, it almost kind of makes sense. What cancer? What did she think she was? Oh my god! This stupid bitch. Are you guys listening? So, the date that I saw was when she died, which was September 15th, and I thought she was a Virgo, and I was mortified. Oh, you're safe. She's... (laughs) Okay. So,
0: then this is new information. She's a cancer. She's a cancer. Okay. Didn't know that. So, my cheating was ineffective. (laughs) Um... Uh, okay so now that's even more horrifying isn't it weird i mean the fact that she's a cancer and did this Mm -hmm. is like literally even more mortifying right they're like the the mother of the zodiac the nurturer the caregiver the lover the sensitive being yep Oh, it makes it even more disgusting.
1: So it's like, basically, you took a cancer and gave it psychopathy, and it was Georgia Chan. You know what I mean? Oh, It's God. weird. Isn't it? It's a even Cancer creepier. gone wrong. So wrong. So wrong. So, again, I am so sorry that our first Les was, like, as psycho as you can get. I am going to cover... An amazing lesbian in an upcoming episode to make up for it. I do kind of feel shitty about that. I actually texted Melissa when I was preparing for this episode. I was like, "Shit, my villain's a lesbian!" Like the first one we covered. I'm so sorry, Jodie Foster. Also, me. her first name was B- B- Bula. B- I think it's Balula B- or Bula. No, it's like Bayla. Bayla. <laughs> I know I saw that, but I didn't know how to pronounce it, so I was like, "I'm just gonna leave that out." But she went by Georgia. Ugh. So weird. Well, right? I
0: will say this: you went legit villain. Yeah, I didn't go so hardcore villain. Thank God. That's a good no, thing.
1: no, we couldn't have two like psychos on one episode. So, like I was saying, my lady is not
0: a villain at all whatsoever. Although. She did something that villainized her for a large period of her life. Hmm. And at one point was considered the most hated woman in America. Ooh, okay. So, really, the villain portion of her is specific to this one event that took place, which is only, like, a portion of her story that I'm going to be telling you. Um, so yeah, she's not a full-blown villain, but she, she did have some complicated shit that went down that really fucked with her reputation. And to be honest, I had no idea that this happened in this woman's (laughs) life. So again, another shout out to homegirl Libby. i was like stressing out about who the fuck i was gonna cover i couldn't like i just i I was just like choking for some reason like i tried to do all this research online nothing was coming up like i just like i don't know this like stumped me i don't know why so uh, libby's always my go-to and literally i asked her i was like libby if you can think of like who you'd consider a complicated villainess woman who would you pick and then like boom She said this name, and I was like, really? How so? And she told me, and I was like, I had no idea that that happened. So, I'm interested interested to see if you knew this about this person, or if any of our listeners knew. So, to give up the big reveal, today I'm covering Jane Fonda.
1: (gasps) You fucking slutbag whore. She is so (laughs) high on my list. Like, I was, like, weeks away from covering her. I love Jane Fonda. Okay, sorry. Do you know how she's a villain? I have... I think so, but you tell me.
0: Okay. Okay, so... For those that don't know who Jane Fonda is... She is an American actress, best known for her acting career, her political activism, and her very famous aerobic exercise videos, who pissed off a lot of fucking Americans during the Vietnam War. Yes. Which is exactly what I'm going to be talking about later on during my portion, um, which goes more into why she's considered a villain so to start a little bit pre-villain days jane was born in new york in 1937 to parents who were canadian-born socialites when she was 12 years old her mother died by suicide while undergoing treatment at a psychiatric hospital later that year her father married a socialite named susan blanchard who was 23 years his junior that marriage ended in divorce um, as a child, Jane suffered from poor self-image and lack of confidence in her appearance due to an issue that stemmed from her father. She was once quoted to say in terms of this topic, "I was raised in the 50s. I was taught by my father that how I looked was all that mattered. He was a good man and I was mad for him, but he sent messages to me that fathers should not send. Unless you look perfect, you're not going to be loved." Mm. and this very sadly trickled on throughout most of her life even into her later years which i'll discuss later um when jane was 15 she taught dance and became interested in acting and she even had a modeling career that landed her on the cover of vogue twice after dropping out of college she went to Paris for 6 months to study art, and when she came back to the United States, she met director Lee Strasberg for a meeting that would ultimately change like the course of her life forever. She was quoted to say, "I went to the actor's studio and Lee Strasberg told me I had talent, real talent. It was the first time that anyone except my father, who had to say so, told me that I was good at anything." It was a turning point in my life. I went to bed thinking about acting. I woke up thinking about acting. It was like the roof had come off my life. So her film career began to take off in 1960 with the debut in the movie called Tall Story. She continued to juggle Broadway and acting for quite some time, and in the late 1960s she recreated herself as some type of sex kitten, which came under the direction of her first husband, who was the French filmmaker Roger Vadim. She soon decided to shed that sex kitten image and take on more serious dramatic roles, which landed her her first Academy Award nomination in 1969 for the film They Just Shoot Horses, Don't They? A renowned film critic, Paul kale reviewed the film in The New Yorker, and he said this about Jane. She has been a charming, witty, n- nudie cutie in recent years and now gets a chance at an archetypal character jane goes all the way with it as screen actresses rarely do once they become stars she doesn't try to save some ladylike part of herself the way even a good actress like audrey hepburn does peeping at us from behind vulgar vulgar roles to assure us she's not really like that Jane stands a good chance of personifying American tensions and dominating our movies in the seventies as Bette Davis did in the thirties. No wait, is it Betty Davis? Yeah, Betty Davis. Mm-hmm. You got Betty Davis. Eyes. <laughs> um
1: <laughs> That's exactly what I thought so, of when you said that too.
0: <laughs> well, it reads Bet, and I'm like, I know it's not Bet. So Two years later, she took her home her first Academy Award playing a prostitute in the murder mystery called Clute. Or Clut, I don't know. Prior to shooting, Jane spent a ton of time interviewing several prostitutes and madams to ensure that she was playing the role perfectly. During this time in the 70s, Jane was enjoying her fame as an actress despite some setbacks for her ongoing activism. And this is when we get into the drama and where shit hits the motherfucking fan. So, Jane was known to engage in a lot of political activism in support of the civil rights movement and in opposition to the Vietnam War after having visited France, which brought her into contact with leftist French intellects who were opposed of war. She supported Huey Newton and the Black Panthers in the early 1970s, stating, quote, revolution is an act of love we are the children of revolution born to be rebels it runs in our blood in april 1970 jane along with fred gardner and donald sutherland formed the the free the army tour which was abbreviated as fta which was an anti-Vietnam War roadshow that visited military towns along the West Coast with the goal of establishing a dialogue with soldiers about their upcoming deployments to Vietnam. So the name Free the Army was a play on the show's expression, which was Fuck the Army, which in turn was a play on the actual army's slogan, which was Fun Travel Adventure
1: huh okay like i'm sorry what i have never heard that before and like if that's what you think the army is don't join (laughs) i mean like what like
0: how if that isn't false advertising like i don't know what is
1: yeah yeah
0: fun travel adventure come join the
1: army yeah come insane Especially during Vietnam. In- come, come, come step on a landmine, fun. You got to travel to Vietnam. It was fun. And the adventure was really <laughs> like got blown to smithereens. Welcome to the army. <laughs> god (laughs) fucking crazy terrible so
0: during this little tour that they did the dialogue that they collected during this tour was from servicemen and women and it was used in a movie called fta which was released in 1972 and it contained strong frank criticism of the war and this was something that she participated and produced and like published out into the world She also spoke against the Vietnam War at a rally organized by VVAW, which is the Vietnam Veterans Against the War. She raised funds for VVAW, and for her efforts, she was rewarded with the title of Honorary National Coordinator. In 1970, she began touring college campuses on which she raised funds for the organization as well. So she was like hard, just hardcore out there being like fuck the war don't go to the war the war is bullshit what do you think about the war like she was super 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 active in spreading all kinds of negative voice on the topic right um Between 1965 and 1972, almost 300 Americans that were mostly civil rights activists, teachers, or pastors traveled to North Vietnam to see firsthand the war situation with the Vietnamese— because the news media in the united states was only providing a u.s viewpoint and a lot of these people that you know were not that down with the war wanted to actually go there to kind of get a better idea of like what the fuck's actually going on so when these americans would travel to vietnam when they would come back to the states they basically got like bombarded with harassment and Jane was one of the people that went to Vietnam and experienced this. So, she traveled to Hanoi, which I don't know if that's how you say it. Hanau? It
1: is. No, you killed it. Hanoi? Yeah.
0: Okay. You're killing so it traveled- with off <laughs>
1: the cuff pronunciation. Laura! <laughs> <Suora. laughs>
0: she traveled to Hanoi in July 1962 to witness the first-hand bombing damage to their dam system. After touring and fo- wait, photographing wait. the dam. Damn. Oh my god. <laughs> I'll drink to that.
1: I couldn't help myself. I couldn't help
0: it. <laughs> well, to be honest, they were called dike systems, but I didn't want to keep saying that. And so I looked, dyke- I looked up what is a dike. I looked up what is a dike system and it told me it
1: was a dam. So I changed it to dam. <laughs> this is the accidental lesbian episode (laughs) it clearly
0: also backfired because you're you um so after touring and photographing the dam systems in north vietnam she believed that the united states had been intentionally targeting these systems along the red river But a columnist named Joseph Kraft, who was also touring North Vietnam at the same time and who witnessed the same damage to the dams, he didn't believe that that was the case. And he reported that um, the damage to the dams was incidental and that he believed it was being used as propaganda by Hanoi. So this kind of feeds more into jane and her participation in vietnam and us needing to kind of figure out what was she there on like with like biased pretenses like did she show up to vietnam with intent to be like everything i'm looking at is proof that the war is wrong or did she show up to vietnam with with the intent to like actually get the truth And I feel like that kind of trickles into some of the backfire that happened with Jane and almost starts with this exact moment where she was like, the U.S. is bombing these dams. And this other person's like, no, the fuck they aren't. This is literal propaganda. Mm. Like, you're a moron. You're being brainwashed. Like, open your eyes.
1: Mm.
0: Mm. So, the scandal really broke out when she visited Hanoi. And she was photographed seated on an anti-aircraft gun, which developed into a controversial photo that was released to the entire public world and outraged basically every American on Earth at that time, which earned her the nickname Hanoi Jane. So uh, have you seen this picture?
1: no i was just gonna google it actually I'm gonna google so it right
0: she day. is young beautiful she has an nice. army hat on and she's basically like sitting on like what would appear to be like a gun attached to a tank and she just has like a big shit grin on her face and she just has like all these vietnamese army men behind her So, like, it literally looks like she is, like, Team Vietnam on the tank, ready to start firing at the United States. (laughs) And it did not go over well at all. People were fucking pissed. And they were like, who the hell is this idiot actress bitch out in Vietnam acting like she's all gung-ho with the enemy and literally posing with a gun with the enemy like who the fuck do you think you are so she got a fuck ton of backlash from it and in her 2005 autobiography she wrote that she was manipulated into sitting on the battery gun and that she had been horrified at the implications of the pictures and had regretted taking them. And then in 2011, she officially wrote, like, a an entry on her website that explained what happened that day. So I'm going to explain that right now in the podcast. I'm going to read off what she wrote. So this is what she said, quote, direct from her website. And, like, literally her... Her written statement as to what happened behind that photo. So sh- this is what she says. It happened on my last day in Hanoi. I was exhausted and an emotional wreck after the two-week visit. The translator told me that the soldiers wanted to sing me a song. He translated as they sung. It was a song about the day Uncle Ho declared their country's independence in Hanoi's Ba Baden Square. I heard the words, quote, All men are created equal. They are given certain rights. Among these are life, liberty, and happiness. These are the words Ho pronounced at the historic ceremony. I began to cry and clap. Quote, These young men should not be our enemy. They celebrate the same words Americans do. The soldiers asked me to sing for them in return. And I had memorized a song called Day Ma Di, which was written by anti-war South Vietnamese students. I knew I was slaughtering it, but everyone seemed delighted that I was making an attempt. I finished. Everyone was laughing and clapping, including me. Now, here is my best honest recollection of what happened. Someone who I don't know led me towards the gun, and I sat down, still laughing, still applauding. It all had nothing to do with where I was sitting. I hardly even thought about where I was sitting. The cameras flashed. It is possible that it was set up, that the Vietnamese had it all planned. I will never know. But if they did, I can't blame them. The buck stops here if i was used i allowed it to happen a two minute lapse of sanity that will haunt me forever but the photo exists delivering its message regardless of what i was doing or feeling i carry this heavy in my heart i have apologized numerous times for any pain i may have caused servicemen and their families because of this photograph it was never my intention to cause harm Mm. so she fucked up (laughs) Which, like, again, comes back to, like, Jane, what the fuck are you doing in Vietnam?
1: Well, wait, what do you mean by that?
0: Like, like, one, if you're going to Vietnam to, like, figure out, you know, what's happening in the war and to, like, get the Vietnamese side of their story and to, like, bring it back to the United States to help change societal opinion on the war. Like, why are you ending up in situations where it's, like, backfiring against you and now you're being kind of, like, positioned as now an enemy against your whole country? Mm -hmm. Like... Are you there alone? Do you have people with you? Like who's watching your back? Like are you like are you being careful in terms of who you're right. meeting, who you're talking to? Like you know
1: My number one thing I was like, do you have a translator? <laughs> like is there a translator here with you? <laughs> like, well, and what you? it sounds like is
0: there wasn't an American translator there with her.
1: Right. It was like a Which Vietnamese translator there with her right right which is like precarious because who knows you know that's a lot of trust you're putting in a person you know yeah it's Um, a lot of trust that you're putting no go ahead sorry
0: it's it's a lot of trust that you're putting into a situation i don't know like I feel like her intentions were absolutely pure, and she went with, like, this great plan and idea of, like, I'm gonna bring peace. Like, this is about peace, and, like, no more lives dying, and, like, let's end the war, and let's, like, have a treaty, and, like, you know, whatever. But it's, like, you got you got fucking used like they put you on a tank laughing and giggling and photographed it and sent it to your fucking country like how did you end up in that situation so like on top of her posing with this fucking gun and like looking like a moron giggling on top of this like fucking tank she then goes on So, like, she was still in Hanoi after this happened, and she did a couple radio broadcasts on the Hanoi radio throughout her two-week tour there. She commented on the visits to the villages, the hospitals, the schools, and the factories that were damaged in the war, denouncing U.S. military policy in Vietnam. During the course of her visit, she also visited American prisoners of war. And she brought back messages from their families, Mm. or from the prisoners of war to their families. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: But when stories of torture from the returning prisoners of war, uh, like, once they were let go from Vietnam and came back to the United States and started, like, telling everybody, like, oh, we were being tortured and whatever while we were held captive, um, she basically, like, went out publicly saying, like, these these people are lying, like, they're lying, they're hypocrites, like, they, no one was ever tortured, which, like, oh. didn't go well with America, yeah. either. Yeah, I did not know that.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's not, Jane, Jane. Yeah. yeah.
0: Like, because, like, the prisoners of war that she saw while there were, like, chillin', but, like, Weird. she saw, like, what, a handful of people in comparison to however many they had so she right, was so like, like
1: what are they gonna do be like and here are tortured prisoners come <laughs> like you know what I mean like what yeah Words, so yeah. when these prisoners of war came back
0: and were like this is what we went through she was like you're a liar uh, but it's just like
1: l- like come on like come All on right. you know alright I was defending her at that point I'm like I gotta get off the train on that part though you fucked up there Jane. like it's just like
0: it up a little though. bit like stop while you pull your head." ahead
1: yeah so
0: sure. so that wasn't good
1: um <laughs> so that was not good
0: <laughs> for sure um like she literally co- was quoted to say these were not men who'd been tortured these were not men who'd been starved these were not men who'd been brainwashed and why
1: like what made do i you don't know, know. why she was no like, these like, men I, aren't
0: I, the men I, like i just think yeah i think either the men that Like, say, like, maybe men that she did see then were later freed and were like, oh, no, we'd been tortured. And she just for whatever Uh, reason was like, no, you hadn't been. Whether that meant they were tortured after she left, tortured long before she arrived, they looked a lot better that day than they had other days, like, I don't know, but she seemed to believe that she knew what was happening with the prisoners of war, and, like, it came across, like, very distasteful and disrespectful.
1: Or that's, like, do you remember during the campaign when Donald Trump literally, like, mocked John McCain for being a prisoner of war? Yes! Uh, And I'm like, I don't even like John McCain, but like I would never shit on his military record or the fat like what? Like there's just certain things you're not allowed to critique if you haven't been in that situation and like being a soldier and a prisoner of war I'm gonna put on that list. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like like, I haven't done it, I can't say shit, like that's not my place. Donald Trump shouldn't be talking shit about it, and neither should Jane Fonda.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, because of her tour of North Vietnam during wartime and the rumors that started circulating about her visit, resentment against her among veterans and currently serving U.S. military still exists. For example, when a U.S. Naval Academy ritually would shout out at night, Good night, Jane Fonda!
1: <laughs> All the in- <laughs> sorry
0: sorry (laughs) the entire company of midshipmen ones most of them who had never even been born when jane was protesting during the vietnam war replied in response good night bitch and like this was like a literal practice that took place with these u.s navy
1: academy people it's so petty that it's so funny to me
0: (laughs) yeah
1: word okay but
0: the practice has since been prohibited by the academy so that only (laughs) went on for however long and then one day someone was like okay you guys gotta stop in addition in 2005 um a man named michael a smith who was a u.s navy veteran was arrested for disorderly contact or I'm sorry, disorderly conduct after he spit chewing tobacco in Jane's face during a book signing event for her autobiography, My Life So Far. He told reporters that he considered it a debt of honor, adding, she spit in our faces for 37 years. It was absolutely worth it. There are a lot of veterans who would love to do what I did. Mm -hmm. Jane did not press charges.
1: Of course not. Wow. Wow.
0: In 1988, an interview with, yours truly, B. Walters. Barbara
1: Walters?
0: Fonda (laughs) expressed... Of course Barbara Walters covered this. Of course she interviewed Jane Fonda.
1: Of course she did. So,
0: during this interview, Jane expressed regret for some of her comments and actions, stating... I would like to say something, not just to Vietnam veterans in New England, but to men who were in Vietnam, who I hurt or whose pain I caused to deepen because of things that I said or did. I was trying to help end the killing and the war, but there were times when I was thoughtless and careless about it, and I'm very sorry that I hurt them, and I want to apologize to them and their families. I will go to my grave regretting the photograph of me in an anti-aircraft gun, which looks like I was trying to shoot at American planes. It hurt hurt so many soldiers it galvanized such hostility it was the most horrible thing i could have possibly done it was just thoughtless mm. so i mean she knew that like it just was just like wrong place wrong time a little bit naive like
1: how old was she when she did the vietnam trip
0: i don't actually know but we could definitely look but she it was up
1: like- young right like she was right?
0: she was really young 20s, so maybe? so this took place uh in 1972 don't look up her date don't look up her her i'm not birthday. No, I'm,
1: I'm not i'm not okay so let me look. i'm not gonna cheat unlike some people on this podcast sorry some of us some fuck? people cheat On uh, looking up astro signs. Some people cheat on statistics finals. I mean...
0: (laughs) 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 Hey, I'm not... You know what? It should happen. (laughs) So... 1972... Minus 1930... Oh, she wasn't that young. She was 35. Oh i thought she was gonna be in her 20s
1: Mm. okay yeah she was
0: 35 so that happened it wasn't good shit hit the fan people were pissed so she had this interview with barbara walters where she gave this like really intense apology that was very heartfelt and like said all the right things critics responded that her apology came in a time when a group of new england veterans had launched a campaign to to disrupt a film project she was working on leading to the charge that her apology was motivated at least partly by self-interest so like even after she apologized they're like nah that you didn't mean that like you're just trying to fucking help your career so that happened then On November 3rd, 1970, Jane was arrested by authorities at Cleveland Hopkins International Airport on suspicion of drug trafficking. She had been re-entering the United States after participating in an anti-war college speaking tour in Canada when her luggage was searched and several small baggies containing pills were seized. Although Jane protested that the pills were harmless vitamins, she was booked by police and then released on bond. Jane alleged that the arresting officer told her that he was acting on direct orders from the Nixon White House. She wrote in 2009 that, quote, I told them what the vitamins were, but they said they were getting orders from the White House. I think they hoped the scandal would cause the college speeches to be canceled and ruin my respectability. Lab tests confirmed the pills were vitamins and the charges were dropped with little media attention jane's extremely famous mugshot from the arrest yes. in which she raises her fist in a sign I of know. solidarity has since become a famous image of the actress it is fucking fire
1: it's so good it's so like
0: good. something that should be framed and put on like every person's wall
1: now like that <laughs> now that we've covered her i'm putting that on her instagram like at least once a week
0: like just it's, so it. it's so good it's so it's so fucking good Fits so it. now that that whole scandal's done and the drama's kind of past her i'm gonna finish up just like noting a couple more things on you know although she was c- considered a villain and deemed a villain and hated by like every single man in america especially veterans um and she still you know doesn't carry the best reputation today just from what had happened during the Vietnam War. She did do lots of fucking great things, and people just need to let the drama go and focus more on all the positive shit in her life. So some of those things were her participation in charitable work that focused on youth and education, adolescent reproductive health, environment, human services, and the arts. She's also a raging feminist who's still very actively involved in feminist activism. Um, Most recently, she did an interview with Brie Larson, uh, which was published by People magazine, and this is a quote from that interview. She says, One of the great things that the women's movement has done is to make us realize that rape and abuse is not our fault. We were violated, and it's, not our, and it's not right. I've been raped, I've been sexually abused as a child, and I've been fired because I wouldn't sleep with my boss. I always thought it was my fault that I didn't do or say the right thing. I know young girls who've been raped, and they didn't even know it was rape. They think, hmm, it must have been because I said no the wrong way so i mean 2017 what two years ago she's in like her 80s and she's still fucking you know fighting for you know change in in this in this category of feminism it's like fuck she she's just gonna go down fighting like until the day she dies like she's not giving up on any of this type of activism She's also an active supporter of the V Day movement, which works to stop violence against women and girls. In 2001, she established the Jane Fonda Center for Adolescent Reproductive Help, which aims to help prevent teen pregnancy. She was at the first summit in 2002, bringing together founder Eve Ensler, an Afghan woman oppressed by the Taliban, and a Kenyan activist campaigning to save girls from genital mutilation in her autobiography my life so far jane stated that she considers patriarchy to be harmful to men as well as women she also states that for many years she feared to call herself a feminist because she believed that all feminists were anti-male but now with her increased understanding of patriarchy she feels that feminism is benefic- beneficial to both men and women And states that she still loves men, adding that when she divorced her third husband, Ted Turner, she felt like she had also divorced the world of patriarchy and was very happy to have done so. On the note of her husband's, she's been married and divorced three times. Her first husband was Roger Vadim the French filmmaker, in 1965. They had one daughter. Three days after her divorce from him in 1973, she married Tom Hayden. Damn. (laughs) They had a son and adopted an African-American teenager who was the daughter of members of the Black Panthers she married her third husband in 1991 who i believe was the absolute worst his name was ted turner and he was a cable tv tycoon and cnn founder they divorced in 2001 from 2009 to 2017 she was in a relationship with record producer richard perry And then just a couple more things. So she stated that up to age 62, she always felt she had to seek the validation of men in order to prove to herself that she had values as a person, something she attributes to the early death of her mother, leaving her without a female role model. As a consequence, she attached herself to alpha males, some of who reinforced her feelings of inadequacy despite her professional success. She said, quote... Some men have a hard time realizing that the woman they're married to is strong and smart, and they have to diminish that, because it makes them feel diminished. Too bad we have defined masculinity in such a way that it's so easily shamed. Um, Mm -hmm. She grew up an atheist. But she turned to Christianity in the early 2000s. She describes herself as being outside of established religion with a more feminist slant and views God as something that lives within each of us as a spirit or soul. She practices meditation and yoga in her adult... (laughs) Right? That's why I kept that in because I was just like laughing. Like, get it, girl. You know? (laughs) Um in her adulthood Jane developed bulimia which took a toll on her quality of life for many years an issue that also affected her mother who committed suicide when Jane was 12 On the subject of her recovery from bulimia, Jane said, It was in my 40s, and if you suffer from bulimia, the older you get, the worse it gets. It takes longer to recover from. I had a career. I was winning awards. I was supporting nonprofits. I had a family. I had to make a choice. I live or I die. She was also diagnosed with breast cancer and underwent lumpectomy in november 2010 and she has since recovered today she's 81 years old and she's currently starring in the netflix tv series grace and frankie yes she is (laughs) she is alive and well and to end on a quote she says quote it's never too late never too late to start over never too late to be happy and that's jane fonda
1: This is going to be the longest episode ever. Like, I don't even... I have so much to say. I don't know what I should say. What are your thoughts? In summary. Well, like, again,
0: I don't think Jane Fonda's a villain at all. But I thought she was kind of a... I thought she was kind of a twist on a villain and, like... So good. kind of like yoko ono like yoko ono is a fucking villain everyone hated her because she broke up the beatles everyone hated jane fonda because she fucking accidentally had a photo taken of her that was misconstrued and it Mm -hmm. like it 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 sucked like it was bad people were pissed and she her whole country felt like she was betraying them and i couldn't imagine what that feels like like it's like i piss off like friend uh my boss a boyfriend my mom and like it feels like shit i pissed off my whole country (laughs) like
1: what the fuck like i don't even know what that means especially when she thinks she's doing a good thing, right? Like she's going over there with like very good intentions and and even with like good intentions for Americans, like I don't want these young men to go die, you know. And then she and that's what and that's what everybody took away from it was this one picture that was like, "Oh, he's yeah. like a traitor." Blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I mean, so yeah, like I just feel like this is another episode of here's a woman she slipped up and like really didn't slip up she just something happened and it wasn't even an accurate just like depiction of what really happened but it was the first opportunity for her to get slammed on and the whole world took it and ran with it
1: yeah i mean i think like the things that stand out to me like she could have been someone who never did any of that she could have been someone she was like this beautiful came from a very elite family, I guess, because I don't know what socialite means. I guess it just means you're rich and you get to be pretty. Like, you know, like, she could have had a life where she didn't have to care about anybody. And the fact that she stuck her neck out like that. Like, regardless of what your views on anything are, like, I think that's worthy of respect. Like, you could have just been this little princess in a castle, but you took a stand on something and you went with it and you might have fucked up and you might have made mistakes, but you took took chances and you were really brave and you were really vulnerable. And I think that deserves respect regardless. I also think it's this interesting thing... I was thinking about this today. Actually, I don't know why. Like, how we often in America, it like associate you being anti-war with you being um, anti-military or anti-service members. And it's, I'm like, those don't necessarily. Like, that's bullshit. Like, you can be very supportive of people who are veterans or people who are actively serving, and you can also say like. This war is stupid, you know, and I hate that that's become or even like, I mean, I'm, you know, certainly I remember I'm going to go off on a tangent. We can cut this because it's long, but um, the Veterans Day following Trump's election. So it was like a couple days later. I forget the exact, but it was literally like three days after the election. And I remember because we had been at a part, my uncle had just retired and my entire family was in town and we had gotten plastered. And my other, one of my uncles wakes me up at like 8am, sorry, wakes me up at like 8am and he's like, there's like a military service going on for veterans downtown. Like, do you want to go? And I was like, fuck yeah, I want to go because we, we aren't like a military family, but there's a ton of military members in my family, so it's not like I was raised by like military service people, but it's a big part of our family and um, we went down to this Veterans Day ceremony, and this black man who was a civic leader in the in my hometown was giving a speech about what it means to be a veteran and his son who's in the Marines. And this is like three days after Trump gets elected, right? So there's like all of this racial stuff around the Trump election. And and he talks about how he sent this email to his son of like, as a active member, you have to serve the president. That's the top of the chain. The military is all about hierarchy. And he didn't necessarily like go off on this, but like, I, like listening to him, it was this idea of like, even as an active member, you can completely disagree with your orders, right? Like you can completely like hate what your president is doing. You can completely like hate what the war you're fighting is, but like you have to do it. That's your job. That's the commitment you've made. That's the promise that you've made. And so even, even people in active duty don't necessarily agree with the work that they're doing. And maybe they do and maybe they don't. But the idea that like anti-war automatically gets grouped in with, like, anti-service... It's not real, you know, and I think, like, she, granted, like, her comments on that, like, prisoner of war stuff, like, I don't have anything smart to say about that, like, that was just dumb. She shouldn't have said that shit. Yeah, like, that was, like, you know, but I think the other pieces, like, people were, like, oh, you're anti-Vietnam War, so you're, like, anti-American veterans. It's like, no, those yeah. two things don't have to coincide, you know, like, yeah. you can be critical and you can still be supportive of the people who are fighting, you know? yeah yeah yeah
0: and you know what also like think of you know her being this huge celebrity this great popular american actress this model like showing up to vietnam and like you know touring the villages and the hospitals and like meeting with the their servicemen and like trying to like get an understanding as to like where are you at in this war how are you guys feeling as a community and like i i i doesn't surprise me that as like them being a country that's currently in war like that's a huge advantage for them like oh this american celebrity's here and she's like feeling our shit like she's like not necessarily on our side but she's here because yeah. she's trying to make an impression and like i it i have no doubt that they probably strategize how to take advantage of that and it's totally unfortunate that she was a little bit ignorant to that yeah i think like i think she definitely was ignorant to that and i think totally but like also like having spent so many years of her life actively, you know, opposing the war and as far as she'd go to the funding and the colleges and the tours like she wasn't just like somebody that talked about it on Twitter one day, like she was putting in fucking work. Yeah, and I bet exactly. like when she got exactly. there and was like seeing it and living it and being a part of it, like she was even more engulfed into it. And like yeah she was in such, like, a euphoria or, like, you know, it was so out of this world that it's very easy to get caught up in stuff like that, where all of a sudden this picture gets taken and you're like, holy shit, like, when did that even happen? Like, you know, you're just, like, you're not, so uh, it's not, like, I don't, I think it's really unfortunate that, that she was villainized as hardcore as she was um, just, and it was just a shitty scenario. And also like, where was her publicist? Like who the fuck was there like having her back, you know? Yeah, And, like, in the research that I did, I couldn't find, like, that she went with a group. I don't know if she went alone, but I couldn't find any info that, like, she had a team with her. And that also kind of seems strange, you know? There there maybe should have been some people there that could have been another voice of reason.
1: Or, like, that's what I was thinking when you were talking about it, too. I'm like, is that strange? Because this is pre-social media, When like, you know, nowadays people would be thinking about that shit immediately and they'd have a whole team of people already ready and like controlling all, you know what I mean? But like back then I could see how she could end up in that photograph and in that situation because we weren't yet totally primed for like at any moment someone's going to take a picture of you and you have to be ready. Even celebrities because it wasn't like that yet. You know, like this is pre, yeah, this is pre social media. And so,
0: but also like shout out to jane fonda for like going uh-huh. through that yeah. yeah and like literally being 81 and like still acting and having like a hit show
1: no she's killing it yeah
0: yeah, yeah. like she couldn't be put to rest like it didn't even matter how thick that scandal guy like she she just fought through it and like just kept her career going
1: well, and, like, also pickups ups to her, because basically what she did was she shouldered all of the hatred that people had towards anti-Vietnam people, right? Like, it all got placed on Jane Fonda. Like, Jane Fonda became yeah. the person that everybody took all of that out on. Um, of course. Of course she did. Yeah. She's a woman. <laughs> like, that well, was and such also- a good... No, I was just going to say that was such a good pick for a villain. That's like, there's so much to talk about with Jane Fonda. Good job, you and Libby. Good job.
0: Woohoo! Go Libby, really. But one last thing. Another thing I think is kind of funny to know is that her super hardcore hit aerobics videos literally happened after the scandal.
1: Oh, yeah. So, like, (laughs) that's even. Shut up, but I need rock hard (laughs) funds. Just kidding. Like, she kind of, like, she came
0: back, and everyone hated her, and she was like, whatever, I'm going to be, like, an aerobics, you know, fitness lady now, and, like, who's going to stop me? And then, boom, success is back, like, nothing ever happened.
1: Yeah. Well, it makes me think of when you, I think we were talking about Juliet Gordon Lowe, when we were talking about, like... Kudos to any woman or person who's born into a ton of privilege and then goes on to do something.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: You know, yeah. You could have just been like a spoiled little brat, but instead you decided to try to make a difference in the world, and like you didn't have to do that. That was a choice that you made, and that's awesome.
0: Yeah. Shout out to Jane Fonda. You're fucking awesome.
1: You're killing the game. What do you think? So mad you covered her, but also really happy. I, I had planned to cover her as a non-villain, but that was a good choice. I... Uh, okay, Sign, do you think I'll be able to guess? Um... I
0: don't think it's too out of left
1: field. So she has to be, like, an error or fire, right?
0: Correct. She's right? one of those two okay. elements.
1: Okay. I'm like, she can't be water or earth. Um... Is she air? She is not air. Okay.
0: She is a fire sign. Sagittarius. Boom! Okay,
1: great. N- Nailed it. Thanks.
0: I was We're like, so she's good.
1: sage, an Aquarius and I was like, maybe Left Field Gemini, maybe, but yeah, cool. Cool. She's such a fucking sage yeah yeah just fucking shit up don't don't care
0: we do a pretty fucking good job at guessing zodiac signs
1: we i feel like we also like love a sagittarius like i feel we talk, <laughs> like we talk so much shit about aries we're like fucking aries but we're like but like sagittarius are cool like we like Sanchez.
0: <laughs> i know i love sagittarius
1: it's your moon right yeah right yeah, yeah, it's my sister sign. Yeah, it's my opposite. So we love you. Wow, that was a good episode. There was a lot. In I know. There. I'm so glad you covered her, and I felt like that was a good balance because mine was such a psychopath, but yours was very like controversial. Like mine is like very easy to hate. Yours is like it depends on who you are and like what you think. So that was good. Oh yeah, and I I wouldn't
0: doubt. Like, like, literally, Libby was telling me that her father-in-law still talks shit on Jane Fonda today. Yeah. So, like, I mean, based off who's listening, like, there could be people that listen to this I'm episode talking. and be like, she's a fucking psychopath bitch. Like, she's a straight-up American yeah. villain. Yeah. And you know what? Maybe she is. I don't know. That's why we have this podcast. We talk about people's lives and the things they do and analyze it.
1: Right. And also, like... I think we do a good job of being like, people are complicated. They're not just, like, one thing. They're, you know, we're all dicks and we're all great. (laughs) We're all, that's the new motto. (laughs) We're all dicks dicks and we're all great.
0: i think like not last week's motto but the one before that was if
1: you're rich just like <laughs> give your money away <laughs> and don't be a dick i'm pretty sure it was the other half don't, That's what what the sisterhood of the bottomless mimosa comes down to 18 hours into this episode is that don't be a dick like just don't be a dick just you know try try your best not to be a dick and if you fuck up just keep trying it's gonna be okay Agreed. Alright, well Coolio. on behalf of the sisterhood, goodnight,
0: and don't be a dick. And uh fists up in solidarity with Jane Fonda. <laughs> I love it so much. Good night. <laughs> Good night.